0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we
1: welcome you to episode 21, where today we're going to be talking about
0: Astronomy Part 3, Per Request. Per Request, this is the third installment, and before we actually get into the content of this episode we're actually going to be going through our comments that we've been getting on youtube because we actually haven't been looking at our comments but it's not our fault we just haven't been getting the notifications but yesterday mm-hmm. i was on the email for her for our youtube account and i saw all the comments we got so today we're gonna make sure you guys don't go unnoticed we're gonna answer your comments live on the air and then we're gonna get on to um get onto the podcast. So yep. the first comment we got, this was two months ago. Uh, Nati base. this is actually my friend. I know him from high school. He says, geez, <laughs> very thought provoking. We appreciate it. <laughs> we appreciate the the encouragement there. And then mm-hmm. Jeff Liu says, great content, That's guys. That's my boy.
1: My boy, Jeff Liu. He, uh, he commented, great content, guys. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah yeah thank you very much then rudra
1: singh is actually um he was actually in my high school and uh, he was a good friend of mine he's uh, he says keep up the good work i'm only in middle school wait what oh then i'm talking about a different rudra singh never mind <laughs> just never good, mind oh wait my, my friend wasn't even rudra singh he had a different last name never mind i'm just tripping yeah okay so he's like keep up the good work i'm only in middle school but this podcast is really interesting Hopefully I get into U of T as well. That's dope. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, hopefully we inspire some people.
0: Yeah, it'd be great to see some young minds come to U of T to uh, learn about what we're learning right now. He also later said, this is a lit video on astronomy part two. And he said, you guys should do part three. So, you know, this is why we're doing part Mm -hmm. three right here. Rudra Singh is because of you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we also have some love from India.
1: Yep, all my boys from India. (laughs) He says, uh, (laughs) you
0: guys are doing a great job. Continue love from India. Definitely. Thank you for the encouragement.
1: I know. Seriously, like, I don't think a lot of people know how it feels. It feels really satisfying when you, like, read comments saying that we're doing such a good job and stuff like this. It kind of also inspires us and motivates us to make more podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, and he also asked, where from India? you're from oh
1: yeah so um i'm originally from mumbai by uh, bombay and then i moved to toronto or richmond hill technically when i was 16 years old and then i've just been living here since then that's
0: pretty much my life story all right awesome okay and then also to commented some nice things oh that's my Thank mother you very much <laughs> so um yeah thanks for all the comments everybody um Make sure if you have any questions or anything you want to say, make sure to leave a comment. We'll definitely be checking mm-hmm. them more regularly mm-hmm. from
1: yep. here on out. And like, to be honest, we might even do this kind of segment before an episode if we get a bunch more comments where we just talk about a few comments, some that really stuck with us, stuff like that. Definitely. And, you know, we might make it like a segment before an episode. So let's see. Yeah, let's see.
0: All right. So uh, astronomy part three. Let's yep. get right into it. So today, I know I said this on the, on the very first episode of Astronomy. I said that we were going to talk about retrograde motion, which uh, we I remember, remember never actually came around to talking about retrograde motion. So, you know, some of you have probably been curious. Maybe you went Googled it, already spoiled mm-hmm. it, but uh, I'm still going to go over it because I really enjoy it. And it, it brings you back in time. It brings you back to when you would see these phenomena happen before your eyes and you couldn't explain it. So, what is retrograde mm-hmm. motion? Retrograde motion is uh, something that happens with the relative uh, positions. Of planets mm-hmm. in the sky.
1: Okay, I- important note, sorry. Just a yeah. very important note. It's not an actual thing. It's just apparent yeah. retrograde motion. Yeah. Like the planet doesn't
0: actually move backwards. Just important note before you begin. Well, you just yeah. spoiled it. Oh, did I spoil it? <laughs> yeah. So oh, no, I spoiled so it. It's when, it's when we see a planet in the sky, such as Mars. And then at one point, it starts going backwards on its orbit. And then turns back around and keeps going straight. So in the 1500s, they thought that the Earth was in the middle of the universe. So this made absolutely no sense because if everything is orbiting around the Earth, then it should just follow a straight line. So when something goes forward and then backwards and then back again, it's like magic, right? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But... When what's his face uh, decided to say that the Earth was in the m- the, or, sorry that the sun was in the middle of the universe, uh, everything. Oh, that's um,
1: I mean in our solar system.
0: Oh right, <laughs> I wasn't even I wasn't even paying wait, attention. how
1: do I not know who this? Wait, what? Okay, I think I it's
0: Copernicus, this? right? Oh, this is Copernicus. Yeah, yeah of course it's Copernicus. Copernicus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, okay. what he did was he wrote a book. And he like in that book, he stated that the sun is the middle of the solar system, not the universe. And mm-hmm. basically, he didn't publish that book until right before he died, because he knew that the church would uh, crucify him for it, which they ended up doing, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So he released the like he, he wrote it when he was like middle aged, but he just kept it unpublished until the, the very late years of his life. So this actually explains retrograde motion, and there's a really good animation that you can find that will kind of make it super clear that my explanation will not uh, do justice to. But you can you can find this just Google retro apparent retrograde motion, and you'll see it. But basically, the further away you are from the sun, the slower like the slower your angular velocity is, which means your mm-hmm. orbit takes more time that means the planets they're called inferior planets so the planets that are closer to the sun than you basically they just right they complete their orbit quicker so there comes a point right that that planet will pass you in your in your orbit but it'll pass you it'll pa- well in in your eyes it'll pass in front of the sun and mm-hmm. just past you in your orbit so so basically because mercury and stuff especially
1: mercury moves so fast and is so close to the sun relative to us it just looks again apparently speaking as if mercury is moving in a retrograde
0: motion no 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 that's that's completely wrong is that not what no that's completely yeah but wrong. isn't
1: that not what you're talking about
0: no um so a... isn't
1: that mercury's apparent retrograde motion isn't that the whole thing
0: Okay, so after a quick fact check, we
1: just found out that Mercury is, in fact, also in apparent retrograde. I don't think right now, but it does happen quite a few times in the year. And it also happens with Mars. So both of us were kind of talking about the same thing, just about two different planets. So we were getting a little mixed up.
0: Yeah, so. that's right. So this this happens for every... Like, it, it just it's a relative phenomena. So it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. where you are, it'll happen to some degree. But just because we're on Earth, and we're in between uh, Mars and Venus slash Mercury, we Mm -hmm. see it a lot because of how close the inner planets are to the sun. And so I really do recommend you just search retrograde motion to see Mm -hmm. the animation of it. But what happens is that when a planet passes, another planet from the inside orbit the the line of sight from the inside planet to the outside planet goes from like one direction and then goes backwards in the sky and then backwards to the original direction it's really hard to explain try to explain visually on a podcast but it does it does like a loop in the sky and it's impossible to explain if the earth was static and everything was moving around it, but it's very easy to explain once you put the sun in the middle of the solar system. So, yeah, that's it. At least we we finally got through retrograde motion. Finally spoke about retrograde motion. Yeah, let me take off my hoodie real quick.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so retrograde motion is just an important concept just in general, and especially because the mercury retrograde was a huge thing uh, in Einstein's time. Basically, The field equations, one of the reasons they were made was specifically, I think it was the field equations, right? I'm pretty sure they were, uh, specifically to calculate the retrograde apparent retrograde orbit of Mercury and the orbit of Mercury in general and why it's so weird. Because the orbit of Mercury is in fact just plain and simple weird and they couldn't really figure out why. And that's why field equations really helped and stuff like that and also understanding about apparent retrograde motion.
0: That is absolutely correct.
1: We can talk about a concept that uh, I think is really cool. One of the, one of the, what's the word that I'm looking for with P? I have no clue. (laughs) Oh my. One of the postulates, postulates, one of the postulates for special relativity, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. Uh, Gravitational lensing, where light bends in a gravitational field. And because of this, actually, it is able, uh, we are able to view a lot more things than we could have ever seen. So let me explain how this works. So basically, let's say there's a galaxy really, really, really far away and nowhere in our field of view whatsoever. Obviously, we wouldn't be able to see it, as I said, because it's not in our field of view. Now, let's put a sun or a huge star right in the middle of the galaxy and us. remember, I'm saying this is completely hypothetical. There's nothing in between. Just a galaxy that we can't see, and us, and now this huge star in the middle. Basically what happens with gravitational lensing is because this huge star in the middle creates this gravitational field around it, the light from the galaxy, even though not able to reach us, bends around the star and then hypothetically could reach us. So we can actually still see the galaxy. Through gravitational lensing, mm-hmm. because light can bend in a gravitational field. So this is a really important concept in astronomy. So yeah,
0: yeah this also happens with our own sun. We'll see, mm-hmm. but you know, less dramatic, of course. We yeah. we can see stars that should be right behind the the, sun, the, the sun. surface area of the sun yeah. in the sky. Like, yeah. So the stars should be like right b- behind the edge of the sun, but we'll actually see them right above the edge. Because the light of the star coming in from very far away uh, will just just bend around the sun because of its slight effect on light and then hit the earth. But of course, we won't be able to see a star that is directly behind the sun because the sun... Sorry?
1: Wait isn't that the point though that we can see it if it's directly behind no, I mean, I but mean, if like... it no no but if it is we'll see like multiple projections of it that's the interesting thing about gravitational lensing as well a lot of times if there's one star you might see it like 2 3 times because the light is being bent so many times around the star uh, around the parent star that it comes to you like there are like three images and that happens a lot with gravitational lensing really yeah i didn't know so, that so yeah, it's, it's, a,
0: it's, a, it, it's a pretty cool effect where you see two of the same thing. For our sun, it only happened like stars that were a little bit under the horizon of the sun. Mm-hmm.
1: But in in 1990-something, they tested this postulate, and uh, it proved to be true, obviously, where um, I don't exactly know what they did. Again, probably should have done a little more research before stating this fact, but... Um, Basically, they prove that gravitational lensing does, in fact, occur because at night, I believe, they saw a star or a set of galaxies or something like that that, again, wasn't in their field of view, was originally behind the star, so shouldn't be able to see it, mm-hmm. but they still saw it due to gravitational lensing. Yeah, and, they, and I think that also, is what proved one of his postulates.
0: You can also see gravitational lensing with, like, the Hubble telescope. You, you, like, you can see a star like a single star and then around it there'll be like a halo Mm -hmm. but it's actually just a galaxy being like splattered around the star because of gravitational lensing Mm -hmm. and it has like this weird effect i'll just put i think i'll i'll find a picture of it and i'll put it as the thumbnail of this episode yeah gravitational
1: lensing is a pretty um can't Again, it's really hard to explain a lot of these concepts without, you know, wait, wait, showing you. No, I you. can't do
0: that. I can't put it as a thumbnail because we already have like a like a established thumbnail for the astronomy episodes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Oh, we well, can't, if, we you, can't. If, you're, if you have the technology to find this podcast, you have the <laughs> I technology mean, yeah, to exactly. find it. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty picture. sure you <laughs> can search
1: on Google. Gravitational lensing <laughs> yeah. images.
0: Okay, so talking about... Stars in the sky. Awesome segue. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is my key phrase right here. I always say this. I say, back in the day. Oh, all right? Back in the day when they the used day. to look at stars and they were really bored, um, this famous Greek astronomer, his name was Hipparchus, he decided to just write down for 150 stars in the sky, their apparent magnitude. Well, back then, it was just the regular magnitude because they didn't really understand stars all that well. Um, so he's, No, but
1: when you say apparent magnitude, you just mean basically just the brightness of the star relative to where yeah, he was I, on Yeah,
0: I can explain that, though. Oh, okay. So uh, it was on a scale from 1 to 6, uh, 1 being the brightest and 6 being the dimmest, and it was a logarithmic scale. And after doing the math in modern day times it came out to be around each each order of magnitude is around 2.5 times brighter than the last mm-hmm. and yeah this is this is like approximate because back then like he created the scale with his naked eye but we mm-hmm. just used that scale and expanded it to mm-hmm. be you know, to reach stars such as our sun and even dimmer stars. Um, So the scale nowadays goes all the way down to negative 26. And remember, the the dimmer your star is, the higher your rating is. And so the brighter you are, the lower your rating. So negative 26.83 is for our sun. And Mm -hmm. then we can... We have noted down stars that have a rating of thirty, which is one you... was Vega, right? One is Vega, right? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure one is Vega. But um, yeah, you can just imagine if you have a rating of thirty, it is it is two point five to the thirty times dimmer than a one rating on the scale, which, I don't know if that's a relatable <laughs> statement, but it is what it is.
1: Oh no, sorry, no, no, no. What? Which is the which is the one that has of zero? No, sorry, not one. It's zero. Which star has zero uh, relative mag? I have, Oh crap, I forgot. Or was it absolute magnitude that was zero? I don't know. No, no, no. That doesn't make any sense.
0: Let me explain this first. Mm-hmm. As technology improved. We wanted to uh, classify stars a little bit better, right? Instead of just saying, oh, you look bright, so you are this number. So what it, what it is is that apparent magnitude or... Yeah, that's what, what, uh, that's what it's called. Apparent magnitude yeah. is basically just how bright the star is from the Earth. But what that doesn't take into account is its intrinsic luminosity right, which is just how bright the star is on its own, and how far it is from the Earth. So mm-hmm. if a star is super bright relative to another star, just as, as a characteristic, but it's further away than the dimmer star, then they might seem like they're the same brightness from the Earth. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. instead of having this weird like relative scale where like, Stars can appear dimmer than others, but in reality, they're not. We decided to create the absolute magnitude, which is the magnitude of a star 10 parsecs away from uh, the Earth. And I will actually, if we have time later, I will tell you exactly what a parsec is, but it's just a big distance. We can just go
1: through it really quick.
0: Okay, so really quickly, it's it's, if you have a right angle triangle... And one, one end of the triangle is one astronomical, astronomical unit. Uh The hypotenuse is, um, well, it's basically one parsec, but basically, yeah, this is, I don't know. This is hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so the angle... basically a parsec is 3.2 light years
1: that's a very simple way to just understand it okay. 1 parsec is 3.2 light years 10 parsecs is 32 light years so the absolute magnitude of every star is simply measured 32 light years away from it
0: okay but what it, what it actually like a parsec mm-hmm. stands for parallax second and mm-hmm. so the angle that you're looking from is one uh, arc second which mm-hmm. is 1300 no 3600 of a degree take that in so you have a triangle with that angle and the projected distance is a astronomical unit and the distance yeah. of that projected astronomical unit is 1 parsec this one is so parsec. difficult to explain yeah.
1: it's a little difficult to explain and yeah i i i understand the difficulty you're going through so makes it yeah, anyways. Also, um interesting fact about because we're just talking about these magnitudes, uh things because we're also talking about astronomy, I don't I don't believe if we've mentioned quasars in a, in these astronomy episodes before, but quasars are basically just black holes surrounded it's it's like a black hole galaxy kind of, but it's not an entire galaxy. So a quasar is kind of like a galaxy that is active That means the black hole is currently feeding off of the galaxy and there are uh, particles being jettisoned from both sides. So if you just simply search up a picture of a quasar online, you'll immediately understand everything I'm saying. Basically, a black hole with a galaxy. The things with these quasars is that they can be so bright that you don't really recognize and, and that's kind of just throws off the entire magnitude scale. So interestingly enough, a star that's mere three light years away can be outshined by a quasar that is 30 million light years away and there's actually a picture of this where there's a quasar and a star a star pretty close and a quasar like 35 million light years away and it's still brighter Mm -hmm. so quasars are really cool and completely just throw off the magnitude scale. And it's, the reason, it's, it's really why, cool the reason why, why it's
0: so bright is because the, of the friction between all of the material in the accretion disk, which is, or accretion mm-hmm. disk.
1: The accretion disk is also, uh, like, active. The fact that the black hole is active is yeah. what makes it the quasar. Yeah. And that's also what makes it crazy bright. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that a black hole... And a galaxy, like like just dust particles surrounding a black hole can be so bright.
0: Yeah. So, f- that's, so crazy. That's what happens when uh, yep. the laws of physics weird. are in play. So weird. <laughs> Astronomy is so weird. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to talk about intrinsic luminosity uh, right before we got into this whole parsec discussion. Um, so intrinsic luminosity. This takes us back to the Gauss's Law days where, um, it's kind of like, what's it called? The flux, the electric flux. So instead of talking about like how much a, an electric field is penetrating a surface, we're going to be talking about how many joules per second are radiating from a star per unit area. So it's very similar to Gauss's law. It's, um, it's basically the, the the flux is equal to the luminosity over pi r squared, uh, which is similar to what you would do for a point particle. And then when we get to absolute magnitude, basically you just take a... Well, we compare it to the sun because the sun is the easiest star to compare it to because we can study the sun very closely and very accurately. So what you do is you compare the sun and you say, okay, well, if we have... The sun at 10 parsecs away it would have this scale and then you mm-hmm. and then you take the the radiant flux of a star you're trying to find out the absolute magnitude of and then you would compare it to the radiant flux of the sun at 10 or not at 10 parsecs away but uh just to conclude um the definition of absolute magnitude is just the apparent magnitude of a star at 10 parsecs away from the sun, or from the Earth. That's just the what it's defined as. So, moving on for the last topic of the podcast, I wanted to talk about the International Space Station. So, the ISS is actually two football fields in length, which it doesn't look like that by when you just see pictures of it, but yeah, that's actually... That's actually how mm-hmm. uh, big it it is and most of it is just is just solar panels to be able to redirect it to continue to look at the Sun to get more power so they can power the entire um, mm-hmm. the the insides of it I'm
1: not gonna lie I don't know uh, an awful lot about the ISS because I um if I'm not mistaken isn't it mainly just like a a revolving laboratory mainly because the advantage of the ISS obviously is pretty clear. The fact that it's a quote unquote zero gravity situation that makes it very easy to do a lot of zero gravity experiments. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of experiments that require zero, not require, but that give you a different result or tell you something interesting in a zero gravity environment. So zero gravity or microgravity technically is a very good environment To do experiments in and i and i really think it serves well but to be honest i don't know much more about the iss than just that
0: (laughs) do you want to explain why you said quote unquote
1: oh yeah okay so oh yeah I, 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 i probably should so obviously a very big misconception for spaceships and ships orbiting the earth or orbiting any planet is that there is zero gravity Right. Like people see images of ISS astronauts and they're like, hey, there's it's weightless. It's zero gravity. But that's just like entirely false. That's just nowhere near true because there is, in fact, gravity. Gravity is still present just because you're 100 kilometers above the Earth's surface doesn't mean gravity doesn't exist. Like the moon is still orbiting the Earth because of gravity. Right. What makes you and your spaceship weightless? So the reason you're weightless or apparently weightless is because as or technically a full orbit is you are continuously falling to the earth. So imagine you in like, I don't know, just a hunk of metal falling straight towards the earth. Just picture you falling straight towards the earth. Obviously, you will probably float. And let's say you fall towards the earth forever. That's basically an orbit. That's exactly the definition of an orbit. Yeah. So that's what's happening with the ISS. And that's why relatively, again, that's why I said, quote, unquote, it's a zero gravity environment. But it's not actually zero gravity because gravity still exists. Always does.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um,
1: I think now we're over 30 minutes. Yeah. So we can probably just wrap this up. Uh, All right. Yeah. So yeah. do you, you want to say
0: anything else? Yeah, this has been a... Another interesting episode. Mm-hmm. We will be back very shortly with another episode this this week.
1: Aren't we trying to do once a week now?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah.
1: So um, to all to all those people um who are watching listening, we are updating our schedule to a little more relaxed schedule now. So instead of like a kind of more erratic one two three times a week all over the place. We're going to do a more stable once a week. The day hasn't been decided yet. I don't know. We might just do, I don't know, Wednesday, Friday, something like that. doesn't really matter. But once a week is basically going to be our schedule now.
0: All right. So make sure to leave a comment, follow mm-hmm. on Spotify or wherever you're listening. And uh, yeah, so this has been uh, the Math and Physics Podcast. I am your host, Parker.
1: And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon.
0: Peace.